Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Amen. Wow, Calvary, it's great to be with you today and great to be with our friends online too. As we gather today and we consider Father's Day, we're going to talk about the subject of Jesus makes his father known. Jesus makes his father known. As I was preparing for today, I was actually really filled with gratitude as I studied, as I I reflected, as I spent some time actually doing research about the character of God, about his, his love, about him being our father, because from an early age, I had the opportunity to be raised in church. I had the opportunity to be a part of a Christian home. I had the opportunity to have a worldview that uh, was influenced significantly by the Lord and by the Word and by people that loved God. And so as I was doing the study today, I just, sometimes we take for granted what we have in Christ and how much we know because back in Jesus' day, when Jesus was, was on the scene and ministering, they actually, both in the Old Testament, they really didn't know God as Father in the Old Testament. They did not have that intimate. They recognized him as God, as sovereign, but the word, and the word Father showed up a little bit, but Jesus took that word in the Old Testament that was really hardly spoken of God, and, and Jesus took it and said, let me fill that up with meaning for you. And so by being people who have spent time with Jesus and his word, we've actually had the blessing of knowing him. And then in Jesus' day, the scribes literally the teachers saw God as distant, saw him as, di- as uninvolved, and, and they, they wouldn't talk about him as father. And Jesus says, I want you to know my father. I want you to know who he is in his character and in his purposes. And so Jesus comes to make the father known to you and to me. Jesus comes to reveal himself. And, and Jesus said, one thing he said was, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? Isn't that great? We have, we have a living example, proof positive of who God is. And Jesus says, that's me representing my Father. And so when we think about, when we think about our God as Father, the first thing that Jesus reveals, God as Father, what that means is that in his character, our God is loving, Our God is loving in his character, the nature of who he is. And our father embodies that towards us. He expresses that towards us. Jesus actually reveals that love and and shows us what it's like. But secondly, and, and this is another really important framework for understanding the fatherhood of God, I want you to know that in his purposes, Jesus said the father is good. The father is good. In the midst of a really broken world, in the midst of a broken world with broken people doing broken things, to hold on to the fact and the reality that my God is good is critical and life-giving both for you and for others as a gatekeeper. And I know that many of us have actually had bad have had bad experiences with fathers and dads. It's not been the best. And every even a good father is 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 messed up. Even a good father has fallen short of the glory of God. And so I know for some people, when you use the word dad or father, it actually brings up a bad memory or bad experience. But I want to tell you today that 
in spite of maybe what you've experienced or what you've seen or what you've known, we have someone who is worthy of love and affection because he has pursued us and revealed himself both in his character and nature as loving and as always doing good to us. He pursues us to do good. And so if we can just set aside maybe the pain, maybe the injuries, or more powerfully today, I'm praying that we'll actually experience the Father the way that Jesus knows the Father today. I actually pray that for all of us in this room and for us online, I'm praying that as, as we spend time just looking at the scriptures and, and talking about Jesus and talking about his relationship to his Father, I actually pray that he'll heal hearts. I actually pray that wounds will be sutured and tended. And I'm praying that bruises and broken places would actually be restructured by this one who is so amazing, so amazing, that, that Jesus actually took a term and turned it on upside down to say, I need you to know my dad. I need you to know my father. And so, Lord, I'm praying that for us. I'm praying that for me. I'm praying that for us today. I pray that we would know you the way that Jesus knows you, that we would know you in your love, and we would know you in your goodness today. And I pray that by a gift of the Holy Spirit, you would not only speak to us, but I pray that you would capture our hearts with the revelation of who our God is. I pray today that hearts would be healed. I pray today that wounds, that wounds would be tended to. Lord, I pray today that new grace would come and we could relate to you for who you are. And Father, in some cases, that judgment of the enemy that has said, where was God when? Lord, I pray today that we would experience you as the one who was there with us, holding us, helping us, caring for us, you weep with those who weep. You mourn with those who mourn. You rejoice with those who rejoice. Lord, we thank you that you've been there. More than we needed answers and more than we needed solutions, we want to tell you today, we need you, oh God. And so we ask for grace in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus claims, Jesus actually says that he knows the Father uniquely like no one else does. He actually used the name for Father to describe who God is and who he is for the Lord Jesus. So think about this. The first recorded word of Jesus that we have comes as a 12-year-old in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. And then the last word that he speaks uh, as, he's, as he's dying on the cross, think about this. In his first time he speaks that it's recorded, he talks about God as his father. He's talking to the father. And then the last he's talking about his father. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, you remember the story, age 12, he's, they made the trip to Jerusalem, and Jesus has, has stayed behind in the temple and is just astounding the religious leaders with his relationship and his knowledge of God. His mom and dad, it takes them about three days to figure out that he's not with them in the caravan, and they go back to find him. And, and listen to what Jesus says. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? 
or the King James talks about, I had to be about my father's business. So right there, his identity is wrapped up. I'm I'm connected to my father, my heavenly father. I know him, and I've got to be where he is, and I've got to be doing what he's doing. And so that's the beginning. And then in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, and Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And so Jesus gives himself to the Father and trusts him with going to raise him from the dead and trusts him with his life. So whenever Jesus talks about his personal relationship between him and the Father, he doesn't ever use the term God. He doesn't ever use another term. He actually talks about him as Father. Have you thought about that? I just took that for granted. As I was studying and praying, I just took that for granted that Jesus, Jesus talks about Father every time he's talking about uh, the Lord. And there's one passage where he's referencing Psalm 22. That's a single passage where he's talking about him and he doesn't talk about him as his father when he's talking about their personal relationship. And then there's a number of prayers in the gospels, in the scriptures, and every time that Jesus does that, he's talking to the Father. He's talking to the Father. As a matter of fact, in Matthew, we read about it in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 27. In those few verses, he says the name Father five times. Five times he calls him Father. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So Jesus has this revelation, this understanding, then this fuels his life and his energy that God is not just a deity, that God is not just far off, that the living God is intimate with him as Father. Now we know that God has revealed himself as Father, as Son, and Holy Spirit, right? We know that. But Jesus says, no one can know him unless I make him known. So I'm praying today that you and I will go deeper and have a new revelation and know him better. I'm praying that we'll recognize who he really is, and Jesus wants us to do that. I mean, it's not like it's secret knowledge. Jesus, all through the scripture, talks about mysteries being revealed, and a mystery is not something hidden so that I've got it and you don't, like secret societies and things like that. When the scripture's talking about a mystery, it's things that we were blinded to that we didn't know, and now the mysteries are being made known, and they're actually stunning and shocking. Like the people of the Old Testament, they just didn't think about relating to God as father they related to God as deity as creator but uh, and then he was the father of their nation he was the father of Israel but they didn't think about it he's my father he's my dad and in Romans chapter 8 Paul amazes us and he says there's a spirit in us the Holy Spirit cries out Abba father right or daddy very intimate very personal and uh, I love when I'm praying for people, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says that the center of the universe is a throne of grace where we can go in our time of need and get help. And so 
Listen, when we're praying for people, for their healing, for their salvation, for their encouragement, when we're lifting them up to the throne of grace, praise God that the center of the universe is where I can come as a child of God and I can climb up into my dad's lap. He, he's, he's there to help. He's there with grace. He's there to receive me, and he invites me to come near. He's, so many people have this idea of God that he's hard to find, that he's uncaring, that he's distant, and Jesus says, hey, no one can know the Father unless I show him to you, and then I want you to know him because he is loving and because he is good, and that's just a little bit of the description, right? And the scripture unfolds more and more in, uh, about him. And the way that Jesus talked about God was different than the way they talked about God in the Old Testament and among his contemporaries. So again, the people thought of God in the Old Testament as the father of the nation of Israel because he established them, he made them, Deuteronomy 32, 6. And in the Old Testament at that point, the fatherhood of God, that concept was at a national level, but they would never have claimed that for themselves as an individual or for a family. He is the father of the nation. And then there's a few other passages where there's an individualization of the fatherhood of God, where like in 2 Samuel 7, 14, the Lord says of his divine descendant, the divine descendant of David, I will be his father and he'll be my son. So there we see a little bit about that for one person, which we know to be the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And then Psalm 2, 7, the Messianic king says, let me tell you what the father said to me, or let me tell you what God said to me. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you're my son. Today I've become your father. But there's just not that many references. And uh, sometimes in, this, in the Psalms, he's called the father to the fatherless. He's called compassionate and mercy and fearful for those that, that need him as father. So he's, he, he is known as, as full of compassion. He's known as a helper. He's known as a protector. But again, it's of a group. But most people in the Old Testament would not have identified God as my father, God as our father. And so it's really not about relationship. It's about description. It's about description. And so, but the phrases are there. And we know Jesus said, he told the, the religious leaders, right, in John chapter 5, he says, you search the scriptures thinking that by them you have eternal life. But hey, you get eternal life by coming to me and all the scriptures point to me. So he understands and sees the revelation of what is in the scripture and he fills up that meaning of what it, Father is and supposed to be for us, for his people. And then, as I mentioned, the scribes. The scribes in Jesus' day, what they believed about Father, this was really eye-opening to me because, again, I just don't spend that much time studying uh, 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 sometimes about the ideas and the philosophies. I've just been, I, I can't unlearn what I already know, right? I know so much about the fatherhood of God and what we've been taught in church and what I've experienced personally of God revealing himself to me as my father and caring for me. But in Jesus' day, the concept of father was really different than what Jesus 
taught and believed, the concept, the Jewish concept of God was actually based on the law and it was not based on the spiritual teaching of the prophets. So according to the biblical scholars of Jesus' day, God became more and more and more distant. He was known as judge, he was the lawgiver, he was the one in authority and in charge, but the concept of God being near, just that was just not on their radar. As a matter of fact, in the Talmud, which is uh, what the Jewish scribes wrote about to try to explain uh, the word, God actually becomes a great rabbi who is, is, is just, he, he, he's, he's discipling, but he's distant, and, and he's a being who's called the Holy One, but he's not really someone that you love. Now, can you wrap your head around that? We know God is someone we love, right? We know God is someone who loves us, but man, in Jesus' day, the people who were studying the scripture were way off base. So compared to this concept, what the scribes had about God, Jesus' idea of fatherhood was amazing. So the scribes taught that God was in the seventh heaven. Jesus taught that God is near. The Father is near, amen? Jesus taught that God is love, the scribes and the religious leaders talked about God really cared about your outward appearances and how you looked at people and how they looked at you, right? They wanted to look good on the outside. But, but the Lord says he cares about your heart and who you are. And to the mind of the scribe, God was the God of the scribes. He was the God of the religious. He was the God of the people that earned it. And Jesus says, let me tell you, he, my father, my father loves all people. He loves all people, whether they're Jewish people or Gentile people. God loves you, and God is for you. And so the religious leaders of Jesus' time, they just fell really far short of their understanding of God, and Jesus just comes along and just blows their mind with his intimacy and in calling God his father. So Jesus wants you and me to know the Father like he does. So I want, I want you to remember these two points. If you don't remember anything else, I want you to remember the character. Jesus wants you to know the character of his Father and his Father is loving. And he wants you to know the purposes of the Father. The purposes of all that God does is good. He is good in all that he does. And so it's just the very nature of the father to give good gifts to his children. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. So Jesus teaches that it's the nature of God, this one who is loving, this one who has pursued us, this one who has revealed himself as love. He's come to give us a loving relationship. He's also coming as the one who is good. Matthew 7, 11, if you then are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So it's the very nature of God to give good things to those who ask. Now, a lot of us in our culture, we get hung up on, on what good is, right? And so, you know, sometimes we're praying and we want God to come through. Like we were joking about a financial gift this morning, but we often think if God's really good, he would give me more money or a better car or a better home or a better government or a better, you know what I'm saying? We just go down the list, maybe a better spouse, maybe a better kid, 
you know, if God is good, he would give me, and you know, the Lord in his goodness knows how to give good gifts, right? And so praise God, I'm glad he's not answered some of my prayers, aren't, aren't you? Like, I mean, I prayed some really crummy prayers that at the time sounded really right. And then so much of the time, I'm really struggling with the timing. You know, God, my definition of good timing and your good timing, we gotta have a talk about this. Because sometimes, it, you know, people always say, well, he's never late. Well, according to his timetable, he's never late. But my timetable is like, yikes. But if I ever lose this idea that he knows how to give good gifts to his children, if I ever lose that, then I'm toast in this world. I'm toast. I'm to- because, man, if you take away that fundamental reality of who God is, what do I have to stand on? He's always amazed me at what he's done in my life, how he comes through. Uh, the other night, I was uh, I, I laid down, and I've had a problem with a sinus infection this week and taking medicines that are keeping me up. So I was up really, really late and finally got to go to bed and laid down. And as soon as I laid down, all of a sudden, these thoughts started popping into my head. And, you know, I've been talking about God as the master strategist. You know, and I got so excited when I found out that the word counselor in Isaiah 6, 9, it actually can mean the master strategist, uh, Isaiah 9, 6, I'm sorry. And so I've just, I've just called him master strategist my whole life. Well, Megan Yarbrough, who's been a part of Calvary since the beginning, uh, just an amazing, gifted, prophetic person in our life. And like our church historian, Megan just remembers everything. She says to gift to us. She was looking at me the other day in a meeting, and she said, you know, God just reminded me that, that I had a dream about you about 30 years ago. And in that dream, you and God were looking over this, this, this table, and y'all were looking at some plans and doing stuff, and, and, and I, the impression I got was he was your master strategist, and y'all were strategizing together, and she said, you've known him as, as master strategist for a really long time. That was just so confirming. That was really exciting, because that's how I feel about what God's doing. So, what does that have to do with the story? Well, thank you for asking. So the other night when I couldn't go to sleep, all of a sudden the Lord begins to bring up some things that happened to me as a child and as a teenager. And then began to show me how those things actually prepared me for some revelation and some understanding that he's given to me as an adult, especially in the last few years about his purposes. And I had questions that he's answered I didn't even know he'd answered. Then I had some questions about, you know, some theologies, especially about the end times and Jesus coming. And all I knew was what I was hearing just didn't fit right. It just didn't work. And then the Lord said, yeah, but I caused you to have that question so that when the real came along, it would find a place in you. And I'm going, wow, from, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but it was more than 30 years ago. And so, you know, God's telling me these, knit these things. And we had about a conversation about two or three things like that. By the way, when I say I have a conversation with God, it's not audible. You know, there's impressions and there's sharing and there's journaling. And, and that night I was just like, wow, I, I, was, I was so tired. I just got up and hit my recorder on my phone and said, you're not going to believe what the master strategist has showed me about some things from my early childhood, my teenage years, and how he's put them together today. 
And I recorded that so that I could then write it down later when I was coherent. Luke eleven thirteen, Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give God good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So God knows how to give good gifts. It's the nature of a father to give good gifts. He knows what a good gift is, like giving a 10-year-old the keys to the car, not a good gift right? Giving a culture unlimited money to do whatever it wants to with, not a good gift, right? So he knows how to, and then he says, listen, how much more will I give the best gift, the Holy Spirit, to those who ask? Well, if you know how to give good gifts, then why do I have to ask? That's the nature of a parent, right? A parent longs to be asked, longs to be invited, and a good parent, you know, they're always hovering, they're always helping us and taking care of us, but they're not going to force themselves on us, right? They take some humility, honor, acknowledgement, and admit, God, I need help. The throne of the universe, the center of the universe is a place where we can receive help and grace in our time of need. That's our Father. Earthly fathers, though evil, give to their children much more God gives who is absolutely and unchangeably good. Jesus, in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, the scripture says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him, and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Jesus said, I want, to, I want to focus in on that word good. You just made it as a statement, just as a passing statement. But let me, I want to introduce you to the one who's really good. I want you to know the source of goodness for your life and my life. Don't you love that about Jesus? He just catches right on the real thing that we need, and he meets us there. And God is ready to bestow the kingdom of heaven upon the poor in spirit, to give revelation of himself to the pure in heart. God is Father, that's according to the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. God is Father gives the best that he has to anyone who will receive it. He will receive it. So, Jesus wants to make his father known to us as both loving and good, and I want to learn to be a better asker. I want to be somebody who says, Lord, I don't have enough. I want to know you in your character as loving more and more, and I want to know you in your goodness, and so I want to learn to ask and ask, to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Amen? I pray you'll join me in that. And even upon those who don't receive his best, even on those who choose not to believe, God says that he causes his son and his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. Now that's different than our way, right? If we don't like somebody, turn off the spigot. They don't need blessing. They don't need grace. They don't need... But God says that he's good, and he says, I want you to be like your heavenly father. I want you to be perfect like him. I want you to bless and to give and to do good for those that we would say don't deserve it. So in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
one of the things I, I, I discovered years ago is we live in an audible culture. And so it's really important to read the whole scripture and not stop and do what I'm about to do. So I'm very sorry. Uh, most of the time I just read the scripture through and then go back, but I can't hear. It says, it says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That preposition is really important. Pray for them, not pray against them, not pray to curse them, not pray for God to destroy them and burn them and zap them. Right? We've kind of lost our minds, haven't we? Okay, that was free. Let's go back. Verse 43. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing more than they? Do not even pagans do that? And then he says, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. The reason why we're talking about God has revealed himself and his character is loving and his purpose is as good is because he says, I want you to be loving. I want my love to be flowing through you. I want you to be a channel of my love and I want you to be a channel of my goodness and God gives goodness and love even if people don't deserve it. Even if people don't receive it, even if people don't want it, they're being blessed by our God. You know, I visit with people all the time asking them, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Where are you on your journey to knowing God? And so many people, because they've been raised in America or raised in a Christian family or, or they went to church at some time, they're talking to me about being a Christian. But when I talk to them, because they'll come up with testimonies of how God has answered their prayers of how God worked miracles in their life, how God has been kind to them, how God met their needs, how God moved and worked. Do you know God does that because he's loving and he's good? And he can do all that and you not have a relationship with him as father and with Jesus as Lord. Did you know that's possible? Did you know you can be a good person, a religious person? Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, here was someone that gave alms and was faithful and studied the scriptures and spent time pursuing God, but he did not know the living God. But because God's so loving and good, he actually sets up a spiritual trance for Peter to get Peter ready for the gospel to go to non-Jewish people. And he sets up this divine appointment, changes someone's whole biblical worldview and has a divine appointment because he saw his heart and because he's loving and good and he wanted, he wanted Cornelius to receive what he longed for, the master strategist. So there's people that God puts in, in your doorstep or in your pathway or in your spheres of influence, not for you to attack them, complain about them, but for us to be a channel of his love and his goodness toward so that we can be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. So fatherhood describes what God is in himself. It declares his very spirit. So the story, when you read the scriptures, in Luke chapter 15, it's the story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Remember that story in Luke chapter 15? And Jesus tells those three stories 
because in Luke chapter 15, verse one, he's actually being attacked by the religious people saying, why does he spend his time with sinners? Why does he do that? Because as religious people, they separated themselves from those that were sinners that weren't like them. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. And why would somebody that's religious, it's, he's going to be defiled. And, and they actually put sinners in the same category as non-Jewish. Later on, we read about that. There's an illustration of that. And so they're outcasts. They're disdained. And Jesus said, oh, this is why I came, to seek and to save that which is lost. So he tells the story first of the lost sheep. The 99 and, and one's missing and goes after it. The, the woman who has 10 coins and she's lost a coin. And man, she turns the house upside down looking for that coin. And then the father has two sons. And one of them is a prodigal and is lost. And he tells the story of how God goes after. And the story is not just about God going after a Jewish sinner or a Gentile sinner. He basically goes after anybody that needs him and pursues them because God is loving and God is good. That's what he does. And so God actually says there's rejoicing in heaven when you find a sheep, when you find a coin, and when one sinner comes to the Lord, there is celebration. There's a party. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus even emphasizes in their culture, this, was, this is just not the way that the patriarch of the family would do, but the father was looking and longing for the prodigal to re return. He, he was always looking. He was always, and then when the prodigal shows up as a silhouette in the distance, the father is running toward him. In their culture, the patriarch does not do that. If, you're, if you've ever been among uh, people that have like uh, tribal kings and tribal leaders and tribal villages and things like that, that's just not the normal way that they show up. And so the father, the patriarch of the family goes running to meet the long lost son and then doesn't come there to judge and condemn, but puts a robe on him, a new robe and a new ring, the ring of authority and new sandals on his feet and receives him in. Because why? Jesus says, my father is loving and my father is good. He didn't take him back as a hired hand, right? Some of us have been relating to God. You know, I know you can't use me, Lord. I've messed up my life. I've sinned. I've blown it. I've fallen short. And I know I'm just kind of eking by and just going to barely get in the back doors of heaven, but just thank you you've made me a part of your staff, your wait staff in heaven. You don't know my father. You don't know the father of Jesus, if that's how you see God. He restores completely. He forgives liberally. He establishes forgiveness that just blows our minds. Oh, he longed for his son to come back, and he welcomed him with kisses and with hugs and feasting. Aren't you glad that there's a lot of feasts in the kingdom of God? I mean, I like that. So Jesus actually embodies who God is, right, his father. He embodies amazing love and amazing goodness. He demonstrates that everywhere he does it all the time, and he even stays connected to people that are out to kill him, that are out to trap him, 
and he just keeps on coming. Today, I pray some of you will recognize God's still coming after me. He's not giving up on me. He's not quit on me. No matter what the shame voice tells you, no matter what your own voice tells you, no matter what the enemy tells you, he's not quit on you. And he's really convinced in his ability to finish what he started in you. I think one of the best things you can do is just say, okay, I surrender. I give up. Have your way. Or as the young people do, whatever. But in the positive, right. You know, Pastor Steve taught us years ago that that whatever is a good thing, right? It can be whatever. But it can be, oh, whatever. Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want me to go. Wherever you want me to go. Whatever you want me to do. And then, you know, we read some stories in the scripture like the Canaanite woman that comes to him and asks him for healing and, and they had this discussion of scraps from the table. You know, it looks like Jesus is not being good and not being loving toward everyone, but the truth was the gospel comes first to the Jew and then to the Gentile, right? And then as the author was talking about, as I was reading and studying, the scholar said, did you not, not one of those people that came to him that was non-Jewish he didn't send any of them away empty-handed. He still answered their prayers. He would say, you know, my assignment is, but how did they get around that? They just asked. Said, hey, how about me? He said, okay, how about you? That's our God. He's loving and he is good. So then if you really want to do some study, I'll give you some homework. Read the Gospel of John. Man, the Gospel of John, 90 times in the Gospel of John, it's mentioned about Jesus and his father. It uses the term father. So in the Gospels, God is blowing the minds of his contemporaries. He's blowing the minds of the religious people. He's blowing the minds of the people that God is really here. He's really personal. He's really father. He is loving and he is good. And then... John, just with his intimate knowledge of him, just takes it out to warp nine. And they just have an experience, and it's just amazing. I could go on for a couple of days, but you do not have the time for that. So the place of the Father heart of God in, in the life of Jesus. The other thing is, Jesus came, and he came demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel, the kingdom of God, and what it's like when God rules and reigns. I want you to hear something. His understanding of the kingdom of God is not that there's just a king who rules with all authority and power, but his understanding of the kingdom of God was Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Whose kingdom? The kingdom of the Father. Not just the kingdom of a God who's distant, a God who's going to just wind things up and set it in motion. No, no, there's a particular kingdom that Jesus said, I'm a part of and that I'm inviting you to be a part of. This is, I am king of this kingdom, but the Father is Lord of this kingdom. And let me tell you, he is Father. See how everything keeps it in balance? We lose out. And, and, and we lose the heart of God if we forget. Jesus makes known the Father, and he says, here's how I'm making him known. He is loving, and he is good. And so the fatherhood requires that our spiritual life even be done in response to the Father. 
That means it's born out of trust. That means it's born out of love. That means our communion with God, it's not just about I'm here to serve God, I'm here to do what God wants me to do. We should do what God wants us to do. When I came to know Jesus in a personal way, he actually rewired my will and has been changing my nature. And so where I actually want to choose what he chooses and will what he wills, I'm getting remade after his image. That's a joy and a privilege, but that doesn't happen in a vacuum of just serving someone who is the authority, who is the power, who is the supreme being. That, I do it because I'm a part of his family, a part of the family business, and I wanna honor my father who loves me so much, I wanna represent the family name and the family business and be like my father, and be like my elder brother who is helping me to do it anyway. So familial, it's, it's a relationship. It's about being part of family. I meet people all the time and this thing that they've got with God, it's not about communion, it's not about intimacy, it's just about pleasing someone and earning their love. So God wants you to know his character today, he's loving. You don't have to earn that. Now you can reject it, you can resist it, you can ignore it, You can grieve someone who loves you, but you're not going to make him love you. Isn't that weird that God loves us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He loved us so much it wasn't just, just an idea. It was expressed fully and completely. So what can I do to earn God's love? What can I do to discern God's love? Well, I can't discern it, but I can say no to it, right? To as many as received him, John 1, 12, to them he gave the right to become children of God. You actually have to receive a gift. You know, when we're doing servant evangelism projects and we're giving away free things, in our culture, there's always, people are going, what's the hook? What, what do you want? What do you mean, what do we want? We wanna, we wanna wrap your gift. We wanna pray for you. We wanna give you this bottle of water. Yeah, but what do you want in return? We want to give you this gift we, because the world sees there's always a hook, right? There's always a reason. You're doing it because you've got a hidden motive. What's God's hidden motive? I love you. What's he getting out of it? I love you. What can you do for him to repay him? I love you. So our motive is, well, I love you back. I want to be a part of your family. I want to love you. I want to learn to love you like you love me. I want to, wow, that's our God. So on Father's Day, that's your God. That's your God. Fathers, that's who God has called us to be. And our culture paints a different picture of manhood, doesn't it? It's the one that's the loudest, the strongest, that can bend people and things to its will, to his will. Well, I think God has a higher view of fatherhood than me and manhood. So Jesus knows the Father uniquely. Jesus knows him like no one else does. We hope and Jesus wants us to know the Father Calvary like Community he does. Church the podcast. The Father For is more loving, content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.